Have you ever felt the internal calling of some sort? Something that speaks to you deep within. Something that is compelling you to go do something or partake of something. I mean, it could be something as easy as, you know, if you're a motorcycle, uh, motorcyclist, it might be like the calling of like the open road. Or if you enjoy nature, it's like the calling of just being in the trees. Or if you're a parent like me, it's just the calling of some caffeine in the morning to get you through the day. There's things that speak to us, not necessarily in audible words, but things that are impressions on our heart that compel us to go do or partake, to experience, to move. Remember a couple years ago, I was out in Fort Collins, Colorado on a work assignment with Crew, which was the organization I was working with at the time. And it was a rather long work assignment. I was out there for multiple weeks, and it wasn't just me. My family actually came out with me, and we're staying in an apartment in the city. And uh, kind of every single morning, like, I just had this, like, routine. I would get on a bike, and I would bike eastward, which, if you're familiar with Fort Collins, Colorado, it, like, sits right at, like, the very beginning, the foothills, like, the the, the, the start, the welcome mat of like the Rocky Mountains. And so when I biked east in the morning to wherever it is that I had my meetings and my training at, it was flat. You know, when you look east, it's flat. You don't see anything. When you look west, you see the mountains. And so I'd bike in east and there would be nothing, just flatness. You know, I mean, heading into to work and my meetings and all that kind of stuff. But every late afternoon, early evening when I went home, I got to head westward. I got to have the mountains in front of me as I biked towards my apartment. I just remember I would ride through like old campus where the classrooms were, where we're having our meetings. And then all of a sudden, as you got out of like where the buildings were, you entered into where the sports complex was and like the intramural fields. There's just vast open space with this panoramic view of the, of the Rocky Mountains. And I just remember my heart just being like, oh, I just want to go and be in the mountains. How can I get into the mountains? How can I take my family to the mountains? It was this inner calling, this compulsion of wanting to go and be. It wasn't audible words, but this thing that just spoke to me too, that said, come, come and be in us. Well, our creator, the ancient of days, has spoken and spoke at the very beginning. Our God has been speaking for the very dawn of of time. He continues to communicate to us even now. And John, when John opens up his gospel, John chapter 1, it says the Word became flesh, that Jesus, the divine Logos, became flesh, that God has spoken to us through his Son, Jesus. And so we're in this Kingdom of Heaven series. Last week we took a look at that we know that the kingdom of heaven has come because we've seen Christ. That we see his deeds and his miracles are like a signpost that, that point to who he is. And since he is a king, that he brought his kingdom and has established his kingdom that we get to be a part of. That there's a potential to be part of it. But we might ask, how is it that we enter into this kingdom? How is it that we experience and enter into the kingdom of heaven? If you've seen the movie The Wizard of Oz, you know that Dorothy travels the yellow brick road with her companions to the Emerald City, and that they get to the Emerald City, but yet while they see the city and they're standing on the outside of the city, they're not in the city. They actually have to go through the gateway. They have to go into the entrance in order to be a part or in the city. And so it's not sufficient enough for us to just see Jesus, for us to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Well, that is something different. Actually, we hear our way into the kingdom of heaven. 
We hear our way into the kingdom of heaven. There's an apt illustrative story in John chapter 9 um, that actually kind of puts these two concepts together for us. This seeing Christ, but then also hearing him. Now it's recorded in John chapter 9 that the disciples brought a blind man to Jesus. And this wasn't just any sort of blind man beggar. Like he had been born, he was born blind. So he had never been able to see. And so the disciples kind of bring this blind man to Jesus. But they're not actually wanting necessarily, it doesn't seem like from the text, uh, for Jesus to just heal the guy. They have a theological question. In fact, they've actually kind of come to some conclusions that they kind of understand like how God works, how Jesus works, how sin works in someone's life. And they just kind of want to confirm what they've concluded. They sort of want Jesus' sort of divine stamp of approval of what they think happened to this guy. So they bring this guy to Jesus and they're like, hey, Jesus, this guy's in a bad way. He's blind. He can't make a living for himself. He's a beggar. Hey, whose fault is it? I mean, is it this guy's fault? Is it his mom's fault? Is it his dad's fault? Is it his grandparents' fault? Whose sin caused this man to be in the predicament that he's in? See, they're trying to figure God out. But Jesus says, hey guys, you guys have it all wrong. You guys are looking in the wrong direction. You guys are coming to the wrong conclusions. Actually, this man was born blind that the works of God might be displayed in his life. Actually, what you see as a as an opportunity to judge this man for his situation is actually the very thing and way that which God wants to show himself to the world. And so Jesus spits on some mud, some ground. He puts it on the guy's eyes, which that's conventional healing. And then he tells the guy to go down to the stream and to wash it off. And so the guy does that. He washes it off and boom, his sight is restored. He can see. Now, within his small town, like all of a sudden everyone's chatting about it you know the beggar guy that we know that we know this guy he was born blind he's always been blind now all of a sudden we hear that he can see again and some people doubt like man, no one no one is able to regain their sight so they doubt they're like this isn't the same guy we know the guy that was a beggar guy that guy couldn't see this guy can see he's not the same guy and some people think man this is the same guy but how did this happen and they're asking him who did this to you and he's like i don't know who did it to me I couldn't see him. <laughs> he just spoke to me, and I did, and I could see, but I, I don't know what he looks like. Well, the Pharisees in that town, the guys who sort of are kind of re- leading the religious charge, they kind of bring this guy in for some questioning. You see, they want to determine, they really want to judge and kind of condemn the work of Jesus in this instant. They want to put down uh, this miracle. And so they kind of bring this man in for some questioning were you blind? How did this happen? Tell us the account. And he's kind of explaining to them, hey, here's what happened. And I washed, and I could see. And so they're like, there's no way that this like really actually happened to you. And so they dismiss him, and they bring the guy's parents in. They're like, hey, was your son blind? And they're like, yeah, like, he's blind. He's been blind since like his birth. And like, well, how did this happen? They're like, hey, we don't know how this happened. Don't rope us into this thing. If you want to know what happened, you've got to ask him. So they dismiss the parents and they bring this guy back in a second time, a second time questioning, trying to figure out what happened. And I'm going to pick up in verse 24, although you're not going to see the words on the text, I'm going to continue to sort of talk through like what's happening in this narrative story here in John. But they bring the blind man in for a second time, a second set of questioning. He says this in verse 24. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. 
So see, they're already claiming that Jesus is a sinner. There's no way that he can do what this man is claiming that he did. And the blind man answered. He said, whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I know is that I was blind, but now I see. And they said to him, what did, how did, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I've already told you this before. Like, you didn't listen to me. Why are you wanting to find out again? Are you wanting to become one of his disciples? And the guys, the Pharisees, revile at this. What do you mean, become a disciple of Jesus? No, we're disciples of Moses. We follow Moses. We know where Moses came from, but this man, we don't know where he came from. And the man answered them. This is the beggar blind man. Answers them. Why? This is an amazing thing. You don't know where he came from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but if, one, if anyone is a worshiper of God and he does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it ever been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And the Pharisees turn to this man and they say, you were born in utter sin. How dare you teach us? And they cast him out. When Jesus heard that they cast out this blind man, he came to him and he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? If you listen in last week, we talked about and addressed this title, Son of Man. Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, And who is he, sir, that I might believe in him? And Jesus said, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he fell down and worshipped him. You see, this story, while it's about a blind man receiving sight, it's really about two different people. A blind man that heard the voice of Jesus and responded, and some Pharisees that heard the testimony of Jesus' work and rejected it. They rejected it. For us, God speaks to us. Do we respond? You know, this is unconventional preaching here because I got two big ideas for us this morning, but the first big idea is this. Jesus, the divine word, has spoken to us. He's spoken to you. And it is those who hear who are able to enter into the kingdom of heaven. It's those who hear Jesus who are able to enter into the kingdom of heaven. All over the scriptures, hearing is tied to believing. And a lack of hearing is tied to unbelief. If you read through the Old Testament, prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Zechariah, Ezekiel, if you look into the Old Testament uh, writings of Moses, there's a strong linking between those who don't believe in their ears as being described as being barely able to hear or closing up their ears or stopping the ears. In the New Testament, Paul says of those who don't believe that they've turned their ears from the truth. In Hebrews, it says, uh, do, not, do not harden your heart to the voice of God today. That when we harden our heart to the God's voice, we are unable to enter into the kingdom of heaven. We're unable to engage in or hear or respond or experience the life of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says in John chapter 5, so a couple chapters before the story that we just went over, Jesus says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, so when Jesus says truly, truly, he means I mean what I say. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, 
An hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Hearing, believing, living. We might ask ourselves, why is it that there might be a lack of of faith in our country now? We might wonder why it is that it seems like fewer and fewer people are open to hearing God or pursuing God or seeking God's voice out or understanding God. And I wonder if it's not a sight problem, but if it's a hearing problem. I mean, you can go on YouTube and see amazing things. We see amazing things all the time. But we're bombarded with so many different messages. We fill our mind and our ears with so much noise. I wonder if we drown out the voice of God. If we don't give God the space in order to capture or give him our attention, that we would hear him speak. You walk onto any college campus, and you can just observe students walking from one class to the other with earbuds in. You see it now, people driving in cars, not just having the radio on, but earbuds in. We always have noise. Mother Teresa said that the leprosy of the Western world is loneliness. We're lonely people. And I wonder if in our loneliness, we just seek after really fast and false forms of intimacy and connection. It's so easy to jump on my phone and search social media. It's so easy to tune into that podcast. It's so easy to, to watch that video on YouTube. And I'm not bemoaning these things. These aren't necessarily negative things. It's just easy to always be receiving messages, always being hearing things, but not actually tuning into the voice of God. We live in a fragmented, a fragmented culture. I mean, we're like, if you have ADHD, this is like the dream world, like the Barbie dream house of existence. Because you can do and be bombarded by by so many stimulating uh, uh, images and voices all at the same time. I mean, I am not officially, like, diagnosed with ADHD, but I do like doing multiple things at the same time. I mean, like, I'm in school currently right now, like, for my master's degree, and I'm supposed to be listening to really deep theological, you know, my professor's teaching deep theological uh, uh, information to me. And I should be giving it my full attention, but usually while I'm listening to a lecture, I'm also like on my Facebook, checking that and texting people at the same time and parenting my kids. Like I'm doing four things all at the same time. None of them very, particularly very well. But for some reason, I like having my mind in like four or five different things all at the same time. But God just doesn't work that way. I think we think in our mind that, man, if we just give God 20% of our attention, that's enough. But it's not enough to hear his voice. God speaks, and do we pursue, do we go after to hear what he is communicating, what he has to say? And I wonder for us, if, if we look at our country, if, if there's a lack of, of spiritual awakening, if it's really a hearing problem. This leads me to my second big idea this morning from the scripture we're looking at. Well, if life into the kingdom of heaven is about hearing, then life in the kingdom of heaven is predicated upon hearing Jesus. Life in the kingdom of heaven is predicated upon hearing Jesus, that we live, those of us who are followers of Jesus, our existence and experience of God's kingdom is through our ears. As one author puts it, disciples are walking listeners. We're walking listeners. Always having our ears tuned and learning to tune into our Heavenly Father who speaks to us, who calls us, who's, who we long and wants to be in communion with us, 
in communication with us. John chapter 10. So the very following verses from that blind man story. John now moves into a time of teaching his disciples and he says this. Truly, truly, there it is again. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Those who are his sheep respond to his voice. They hear his voice. They know his voice. There is, and as Jesus teaches here, there is competition for our ears. There is a robber who's coming in, wanting to speak and grab a hold of the attention of the sheep, and there is the good shepherd who's trying to communicate and call his sheep. There's tremendous competition for your ears. There's tremendous competition for your ears, and God is not the type to yell louder than them. He knows if you want to hear his voice, then you will seek it out. He communicates with us, but is consistent, it is there, but we have to seek it out, that we might find it and that we might hear him. We are bombarded with all kinds of different messages. We might ask ourselves, who are we listening to? Who are you listening to? Who is it that has your ear? I love Christian writers. We've got some fantastic Christian writers. I mean, we're in a heyday of sort of the, the Christian sort of like kind of celebrity. You're the celebrity pastor, the celebrity like blogger, the celebrity social media personality, and, and uh, particularly people that are genuine believers. But we can find ourselves falling in love with them in their voice over and above Jesus. I like Matt Chandler next to the next guy, Dallas Willard, C.S. Lewis, I love these people. Beth Moore, like I, they're, they're great brothers and sisters. But their voice does not replace the voice of God. It does not replace the voice of Jesus. It's not the same. Do you spend more of your time listening to these people than your own Heavenly Father? I mean, if we're saying, I mean, God has given us community. Like he speaks to us through community, through one another. But I think somehow, maybe in our mind, we're tempted to think that these voices are even more important than those who are a part of our local body. Again, these people have incredible gifts. God has gifted them in, with incredible gifts of communication and personality. But their voices is no different than the voices of our elders. They're no different than the voices of those in your community group. I mean, we fall in love with people who are, are real on social media and they share with us their real experience of, of how they're doing life and walking out their spirituality. And we love the authentic kind of messiness that they present to us on social media. But it's no different than being in community group with a fellow brother or sister and having them share their own messiness of trying to walk out their spirituality and trying to walk out the gospel in their own life. It's the same thing. And none of them compare to actually pursuing and listening to the one who made us, to Jesus Christ, the divine word. Who are you listening to? And second question is, what does the voice of Jesus sound like? And if we're going to be his sheep, we must listen to for his voice. And secondly, what does it sound like? I mean, have you ever asked yourself that? I'm sure you have. What does God's voice sound like? 
I think oftentimes I fear hearing the voice of God. And again, this bears us out in Scripture as there are times that God spoke and people kind of freaked out. I can fear hearing God's voice because I'm afraid that it sounds like the inner voice of condemnation and guilt and shame that I tend to kind of speak to myself on repeat. My fear is that when I approach God that his voice will be that of you're not good enough, you fail, you keep on making the same mistakes, there's others that I love more than you. These voices of condemnation, I'm afraid that that might be God's voice, but it's not. Jesus' voice, Jesus' voice is to the tune, to the sound of one who is speaking to his beloved. Jesus' voice is tuned Meaning, what is his frequency? How does it sound like? What note is it hitting? It's to the sound of speaking to his beloved. It says all over scriptures that we are, are his. He, he, we belong to him. We're his brothers and sisters. We're his sons and daughters. We're his friends. He loves us. He, he will never leave us for forsaken. He will never give up on us. We, he loves us. His voice his voice is not that of condemnation. His voice is not that of, of, of guilt or put down or anything that would lead to shame. All of those things are a different voice. The tune of Jesus' voice is always inviting us into deeper intimacy with him, always inviting us to experience greater connectedness to him, greater satis- relational satisfaction with him, true eternal peace and life with him. That is the direction of his voice. And it takes us a lifetime to learn it. We're always having to learn what it sounds like, learn what it's like and how it is that he's communicating. It's, it's a lifetime of discipline, of understanding how it is that Jesus is speaking to us and what his voice sounds like. But we should at least know this, that it's tuned to one who's speaking to his beloved. Even when it's times of, of discipline or, or, or reprimand or correction, which those, those, there's times that God wants to speak to us in that way, but it's always one of, but I say this because I love you. I say this because I love you. I say this because I want you to experience greater connectedness, intimacy, that loneliness that you feel and experience in your heart. I want to satisfy that. I'm the only one that can satisfy that. And the divine, the ancient of days continues to call out to us and says, will you respond? Will you listen to me? Will you follow me? Disciples are walking listeners. When we think of prayer, do we think of prayer being something more of what we have to do, the words that we say? I remember hearing that, you know, when I first started walking with God, like that Paul says, pray without ceasing. I just thought I had to talk all the time. And if you know me, I actually don't like talking all that much. So it was this huge burden. I got to talk to God all the time. No, praying without ceasing is being a listener, being always in this listening posture relationship with and towards Jesus. That is how we enter and experience the kingdom of heaven. So how is it that we might go about developing this in our, in our life? Well, I would just have two points of kind of application for you. I think one, cultivate an ear of listening. It takes time to do this, but cultivate an ear of listening. Anyone who's married knows that if you want to be married, you want to pursue a healthy marriage, you're always learning how to be a better listener to your spouse. We even more so, our Heavenly Father, always learning how to be a better listener to Him. And it takes time to cultivate that that heart posture. It takes time to cultivate and become comfortable with his voice, become familiar with it. But we must try by pursuing that pathway of being a listener. 
I would encourage you with a couple things this week. One, consider this. Read the scriptures as a listener. I mean, I love getting into and dissecting the scripture. I love trying to interpret and understand it. But I've also begun to read the scriptures just listening. This week, read through John twice and just listen. Don't go into it. Don't read through John trying to figure out what exactly Jesus means and how John is constructing like his whole gospel and what the main theme is. Just open it up and say, how is Jesus speaking about himself? How is he speaking about the Father? How is he speaking to and towards his disciples? How is he speaking about life? Just open it up, read through John, and be a listener. Be a listener. But also this week, I'm going to post some books on, uh, uh, I'll post some books on Facebook this week of some recommendations of some books that you can read that are about listening and how to listen to God. God wants to communicate to you must be learners how it is that we can listen to him. And then lastly, <clears throat> I would just really begin to care about who you listen to. That not everyone should get your ear. Just because someone's a great personality doesn't mean that they should have your attention. Just because someone says some intriguing things doesn't mean that you should be fully locked in and paying attention to their mes- message. We should be discerning and questioning the things that we listen to and pay attention to. We should have better assessment of those that we give our attention to and our ears to. Assess that. Who are you listening to? How close are you listening to them? Are you valuing their voice above that of Jesus Christ? The Ancient of Days is a voice that has called, that has spoken. It spoke to Adam and Eve. It's the very same voice that called Abraham, the very same voice that called Israel out of slavery, into the wilderness, into the promised land. The same voice that came to us in the person of Jesus Christ to call us into his kingdom, into an eternal experience of relationship and communion with him. It's the same voice that is still communicating to you today. Will you give him your attention? Will you slow down and learn to tune in because God is wanting to speak to you? Let me pray to end us. Jesus, thank you that you speak. As your son, God, I I long to hear your voice. God, I long to be affirmed by you. God, I long to be uh, in relationship with you. God, I long to hear your wisdom. And yet, God, I can so easily fill my life with so much busyness and so many other voices and noises, God, that I just don't give you my attention. And for that, Lord, I repent. Lord, we repent. We repent that we've ceased to believe that you speak to us still. God, we repent that we've put other voices above your own. But we ask, God, as we turn our ear back towards you, God, be good to us. Receive us and speak. We want to listen and hear your call. We want to follow you. Amen.